But tonight I just want to begin by reading the text because it's really one of my favorite texts, uh, not just in Ecclesiastes, but in the whole Bible. And we're going to kind of group together uh, a portion of uh, all of chapter 11 and a portion of chapter 12 tonight. And so let's begin by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Solomon writes, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. The light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that has come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. And those who look through the windows grow dim and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caper berry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Father, we thank you for this time that you've ordained for us in your word. I thank you for the confidence that we can have that your word never returns void, but it always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it forth. And so as your word goes forth, as a seed is sown tonight, Lord, we don't know how you'll use it to impact our lives, but we know you will. And so we trust you that you will transform our lives tonight through the teaching of your word. We pray this with great hope and with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure you're all familiar with a lady named Sandra Bullock who stars in um, the hit movie Gravity. Um, She was just named Entertainer of the Year for 2013. And uh, this popular actress has had her share of, of ups and downs in her life. Uh, probably most notably a few years ago uh, when she won an Oscar for the Best Actress for being in the, portraying the role of The Blind Side. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a really good movie, a true story. Um, but just a few days later, even maybe the next day in the news, uh, it, it was found out that her husband had been cheating on her 
which led to them getting a divorce. Talk about a high and a low, right, within just a matter of days. And in a, in a recent interview with Entertainment Weekly, who had named her Entertainer of the Year for 2013, this is what Sandra Bullock said, and I just thought this was fascinating, her perspective on life. She said, quote, when people are like, life is good, I go, no, life is a series of disastrous moments, painful moments, unexpected moments, and things that will break your heart. And in between those moments, she says, that's when you savor, savor, savor. When I read that online, just looking at the news and kitchen, getting, staying caught up with what's going on out there in the world, um, I, I came across that statement and I, and I thought of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I thought, sadly, that is really um, the negative perspective about life that the vast majority of people in this world have. It's a very negative perspective. It's a very sad, gloomy perspective on life. Uh, life is, is nothing more than a test of endurance filled with an endless series of hard, heartbreaking situations and circumstances and experiences. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. He said, while many people have occasional good times that bring smiles and laughter into their lives, their joy is quickly lost amidst a sea of disappointment frustration, anxiety, and resentment. Does that describe your life? As we've been reading through this Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes and studying it, it would be very easy to come away with a similar conclusion about life as Sandra Bullock has. Um, Because on the surface, it sounds very much like a, a cynical, nihilistic, pessimistic philosophy of life. However, as we, we said at the very beginning, it's, it's one of the most honest and most helpful and hope-giving books in the entire Bible. And at the end of the day, it actually is a celebration of life. And throughout his personal memoirs, Solomon shared this very dark and morbid perspective that he had on life as a result of trying to find satisfaction apart from God. And he discovered the hard way that absolutely nothing on this earth satisfies and life without God is a joyless existence. And so he wanted people to learn from his own experience that life is meaningless apart from relationship with God. He wanted his readers to realize that there is a God and that life is a gift from God and the key to fully enjoying the life that God has given us is to honor and obey Him as God. And so in the midst of of his dark, depressing ramblings about life here on earth, he was careful to insert hints along the way of his ultimate conclusion. It's, uh, it's, it's the picture that comes to my mind is Solomon, likes, he's like holding our head underwater. And we're, we're, we're squirming around and we're kicking around, flailing around, thinking we're going to drown. And just at the moment, we think we're, we don't have any more air. He, he pulls us out. He yanks us up out of the water and he lets us catch our breath again. And as soon as we catch our breath, he pushes us back down into the water. And we're struggling, we're fighting. And just when we think we're out of breath, he, he yanks us back up, gives us another gulp of air. And then puts us back down again. And what I'm referring to is if you have the outline that I gave you, there's some more on the back um, that we've been following, uh, you remember that there's five, uh, five critical uh, uh, verses or passages uh, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, all focusing on 
enjoying the gift of life. Remember that? We've just been seeing that kind of pop out uh, from time to time as, as we're just kind of going through uh, this book that seems so depressing and so negative. And all of a sudden, boom, there's this, there's this ray of light, this ray of hope. And he talks about enjoying the gift of life. We saw it in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, uh, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, chapter 8, verse 15, chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 7 through 9. And so as we uh, launch into Solomon's conclusion here in, in, in chapters 11 and 12, we're going to see the, the sixth and final time that he admonished his readers to enjoy life. And it's right here in chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. Two times he says, if a man should live many years, let him, what? Rejoice in them all. Verse 9, rejoice, young man, during your childhood. And so after all that Solomon has said up to this point, we're going to see that there was a method to his madness. Rather than wanting us to go through life wishing we were dead, which you could get that feeling at points in the book, right? That's really not what he was wanting. He, wasn't, he, didn't, want us to, he, wanted, he didn't want to leave us wishing we were dead. In fact, he wanted us to realize that life is worth living after all. He wanted to help us make the most of our lives. He was encouraging us, really, to live life to the fullest, to to go for it, to stop existing and start living. And that really doesn't come to to full light. It it doesn't become obvious until we get to chapter 11 and 12. And that's when this whole um, concept of of living rather than existing uh, comes into clear view. And so in the verses that we're going to look at tonight, his message is is essentially that we should live without reserve and die without regret. We should live without reserve, we should die without regret. I've entitled the message, No Reserves, No Regrets. And here in this passage that I've already read, chapter 11, verse 1, all the way to chapter 12, verse 7, uh, Solomon gives stellar advice for... Young people, any young people out there tonight? See some of you guys, young people? And there is some stellar advice. You will not get any better advice tonight, young people, okay? I'm talking like teenagers, college students, okay? Young marrieds maybe, um, but, but t- particularly, you know, the young singles who are here tonight. You will never hear better advice than what you're going to hear tonight from Solomon. So you got something to look forward to here. But it also has some stellar advice for old people. Looking around, I'm seeing some old folks here, right? And uh, if you're humble enough to admit that, right? Uh, you got the, the gray hair, you got the crown of glory, right? Um, well, guess what? There, you will never hear better advice than what you're going to hear tonight from Solomon. And, and this is, this is, this is the, the Spirit of God, um, right, ultimately, who is able to address in the same text young people and old people. In, in very powerful, a very beautiful, a picturesque ways. And so the bottom line here is we're going to see what Solomon wants us to know. This is his advice, okay? You ready? That we need to remember God amid the blessings and possibilities of youth as well as amid the burdens and difficulties of old age. Remember God. 
When you're experiencing the blessings and the possibilities and opportunities of youth, and you need to remember God when you are experiencing the burdens and the difficulties and the problems of old age. How's that? Good advice? Wise living. Book of, book of Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature of Scripture. And so what I want us to, to look at tonight is, is three ways, three ways to live our lives without reserves and without regrets. Three ways to live our lives without reserves and without regrets. Another way to think about this might be three ways to avoid being bored, being depressed, or being self-absorbed in life. I don't know if that describes your life. Man, I just, I just feel like my life is so boring. Or, man, my life is just so depressing. Or maybe you wouldn't admit this, but others could point it out to you, that you're just so self-absorbed. It's all about you. And, and, and uh, again, not taking a knock at, at, uh, at the older folks in here, but sometimes it, it, it can just become all about your aches and pains, right? And by the way, I'm saying that as one who's beginning to experience aches and pains. I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's the same thing I felt yesterday. I guess I got to learn to live with that. That's going to be there every morning, not just this morning, right? So, but it can, life can become all about your aches and pains, can't it? And you can become very self-absorbed. And so this, 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 this runs the gamut. I love this. Uh, whether you're bored, whether you're depressed, or you're self-absorbed, you're going to find out how to avoid living that kind of life. Okay? So how, how do we do that? What are the ways to live our lives without reserves and without regrets? Number one, live an action-packed life. Live an action-packed life, verses 1 through 6. Number two, live a fun-filled life, a fun-filled life or a joy-filled life. If that fun word kind of scares you, the Bible says we're supposed to have fun. So call it joy, but same thing, right? Have a fun-filled life, live a fun-filled life. And number three, live a God-centered life. Live a God-centered life. So let's look at these three ways to live our lives without reserves and without regrets. First of all, we need to live an action-packed life. And again, over and over in, uh, in his journals, Solomon reminded us that no one can possibly know what the future holds or fully comprehend God's providence in our lives. But rather than letting the mysteries of God and the inequities and the injustices of life which he exposes uh, time after time here, uh, instead of letting those things disillusion us or cause us to despair, we need to faithfully forge ahead in life. And instead of allowing ourselves to become paralyzed by fear and inactivity, we must labor diligently and live our lives with gusto. We need to work hard and we need to play hard, is what he's getting at. And in verses 1 through 6, Solomon listed a series of everyday activities uh, to illustrate his advice to remain active in life. In other words, don't just sit around and let your life collect dust. That's what he's saying here in, in verses 1 through 6. Notice verse 1, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Some commentators believe Solomon was referring to being a generous giver, kind of the idea of paying it forward, right? Well, what goes around comes around. You help someone when, when they're in need, and someone will help you when you're in need, right? It'll come back around to you. It'll come back to you. Um, it's kind of like George Bailey, right? Kind of get ready for It's a Wonderful Life. Y'all, who's going to watch It's a Wonderful Life? John, this is your year, dude. You've got you to watch that movie. It's a Wonderful Life. It's coming out, right? They're going to be showing it on TV. George Bailey, he paid it forward, right? And when it, when it, what goes around comes around. And when he was in need, right, helped everybody else in his life, they came back on him and then he was helped. Um, some commentators think that's what this means. Or... 
he could be referring to, and I think this is probably the better interpretation, he, he was referring to taking calculated risks in business ventures, sort of like a farmer throwing his seed on the wet, marshy ground. That may have been the idea, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, okay, casting seed there uh, and waiting for it to grow. Or maybe the other idea here, the image would be a merchant sending out his ships out to the sea, hoping that they'll return having made him a profit. And so he says, cast your bread on the surface of the water, for you will find it after many days. Again, nothing's guaranteed. There's no assurance that, that, that these, the farmer or the merchant will benefit from their action, but nothing ventured, nothing what? Gained, right? At the same time, it's not wise to gamble everything on one venture. Verse 2, divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Simply saying it's prudent to diversify, right? You talk about your, uh, how your investment portfolio, right? That you make sure you don't just invest everything in just one thing, right? You kind of spread it out. In case one thing goes bad, you still got another thing that might be going good. But if that one thing you got everything in goes bad, you're history, right? So diversify is what he's saying. Um, a good example of that is Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, remember when he was coming back into the promised land and he was about to meet up with Esau, he wasn't sure how Esau was going to respond to him if he was still angry and bitter and he might come out and kill him uh, or destroy his family and his flocks. And so what did he do? He divided his flocks right in half, right? Sent one ahead, right? And kept another one back. He was diversifying. He was dividing uh, his flock. In other words, the idea here is don't put all your eggs in what? One basket, right? That's what he's saying. Uh, look at verse 3. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, whether the tree falls, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. So Solomon is just mentioning here some things that are beyond our control. It's inevitable that storms will come, uh, that trees will fall, but we can't forecast when or where or how any of these things will happen. So rather than sitting around waiting for the ideal moment or the perfect conditions to do something, we just need to do it. We need to go for it. Uh, Again, the idea here is don't allow yourself to be paralyzed into doing nothing and don't put off what you need to do for a more opportune time, right? Right? If something, if you can do something today, don't put it off till tomorrow, right? Don't procrastinate. And that's something that we oftentimes do because we're just waiting for, uh, right, the perfect time. And so we procrastinate. Uh, we're, we're indecisive, right? Uh, something that I'm guilty of often is just procrastination and indecision, right? Just, just kind of waiting and overthinking things and being too cautious, uh, not wanting to make a wrong decision, right? And so his point is, listen, you can't always foresee all that you would like to know about the future or how something will ultimately turn out. So there comes a point when you just need to step out in faith and act. And, and granted, there's some people that are just too crazy, right? Whoa, 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 you're going way too fast. That is crazy. But there's other people that are too cautious. They're too cautious. And those who require absolute certainties or they require the most favorable conditions prior to acting, they won't do anything in life. They'll never accomplish anything. And so he's basically saying, listen, our job is to work hard and leave the results to God. All we can do is control 
the effort, right? And we need to leave the, uh, God controls the results. We were talking, talking, to that, uh, talking about that to one of my kids when it came to finals week, right? <laughs> Listen, you can't control the result, right? And what you, what you get, what grade you get, but you control the effort, right? You work hard, you study hard, you pray hard, and you get in there and you take that test to the best of your ability to the glory of God, and then you trust God for the result. I think too often we, we waste so much of our lives worrying about things that we can't change. We, what, when we could be working on things that we can change. Again, Swindoll says this, if only so-and-so were different, if only I lived somewhere else, if only I had more money, if my children would obey me better, if my mate showed me more affection, we don't have to wait for our circumstances to change. We can find pleasure in our lives right now. So ask yourself, are you guilty of, of, of wasting time trying to change things that you can't change instead of just enjoying the way things are? Again, verse 5, just as you do not know the path of the wind, right? You, you, we can't understand how the wind works and how bones are formed in the womb, uh, the fetus being developed uh, inside a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether coming or evening, excuse me, whether morning or evening, sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. So again, we don't understand all that, that, that God is up to, all that he does or why he does it, but nevertheless, we need to wisely and diligently invest our energies and our resources under his sovereign control because we don't know which activities that we engage in will be profitable. And so it's best just to fill our days with all kinds of productive labor that gives the promise of at least some return, right? Well, at least we're doing something. We're getting something for our labor. Um, you'll never reap if you never sow. I saw a sign at the, at the school yesterday uh, it's basketball season, and I saw a big poster in the hallway at, at Covenant Christian where our kids go to school, and it said this, quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? I mean, you're going to miss 100% of the shots you don't take, so take some shots, right? Take some risks. Put it out there. You may miss some, but you will make some. So, so go for it is what he's saying. Go for it. Don't look back. Get out of the stands. Get into the game. Do something, <laughs> Live an action-packed life. Don't just sit around kind of going, oh, but I don't know what's going to happen, and what about this? Just, just get after it. Just get after it. Live an action-packed life. And trust me, your life won't be boring, right, if you're out there getting after it like that. Secondly, live a fun-filled life. Live a fun-filled life. And this is maybe a little bit um, controversial in your mind at first, but uh, let's, let's see what Solomon has to say here. Because in, in verses 7 and 8, he's writing about the certainty of growing up and growing old. He says, The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything that has come will be futility. And so he's really just talking here, I think, about the early years of our lives. It's as if the sun shines all the time, 
right? But one day the sun will set on our lives and the darkness will set in. So he's describing the effects of of aging and dying here. And it's really the the succession of sunrise and noon and afternoon and evening. It's it's, it's kind of a picture of, of the rhythm of life here. And so in light of this rapid progression that we all experience from birth to death, we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice. Because guess what? It'll be over before we know it, right? And those of you that are a little older, right, uh, you know that life picks up speed at some point. It just starts going really fast. And I guarantee you, some of you older folks would would, would sit here and testify to us that it seems like just yesterday you were playing in your sandbox, right, in your backyard as a little toddler, or, or you were just out there on the football field in high school right? Or you were uh, there at college and meeting your, that, that sweetheart sitting next to you, right? Uh, that you met them. It just seems like yesterday. Um, you know, I, I got this, um, some of you probably got this as well, this beautiful Christmas card from um, Robert and Nancy. Um, I'm blanking on their name now. Burn. Yeah, Burn. Thank you. Um, and, and it was celebrating 50 years of marriage the love of family and friends, and the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was uh, Melikalikimaka, right? You've heard the song, Merry Christmas. Uh, and there's a picture here of their family. I, Kelly had to point it out to me. I didn't get it. Hawaii Five O. They they took all their kids and their grandkids back to Hawaii where they celebrated their anniversary. You say, how do you know they celebrated? There's going to be their honeymoon. How do you know that? Because there's a picture here of them in 1963 with a little lays around their neck. They're in Hawaii, right? And then here they are, 2013, 50 years later. And it was just so cool to see the picture of what they looked like back in 1963 when they were newlyweds, right? And what they look like today, that we all know them as today. But I thought, man, that, that's probably like that to them, right? I mean, it's amazing to just to, to see a visual picture of this passage of, of, of how life just, just flies by. And um, we, we see, and, and if you didn't see this, you got to come see it afterwards because it's really cute to see um, just how they really look pretty much the same, just a little more gray, a little more wrinkled, right? Um, that's what this passage is all about. So notice what he says here. We need to rejoice twice, he says, rejoice, um, and, and also in verse 9, rejoice means to be happy. To, to enjoy life is what he's talking about. And again, this is the, the, the sixth and, and final time he, he talks about enjoying life. Um, and, and I think we have to, sometimes we don't understand this, but listen, God, God approves of our enjoyment. In fact, he commands us to pursue uh, happiness. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to enjoy life. First Timothy 6.17, it says that God gives us all things to what? To enjoy Um, Acts chapter 14, verses uh, 15 through 17, uh, when uh, the men were wanting to bow down to Paul and Barnabas, he says, we're also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you uh, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So God wants us to be glad. He wants us to enjoy life. He gives us all things to enjoy. And so he says here, 
Rejoice, young man. Now he's specifically talking to you young people, okay? So listen up, young people, because this is for you, and this is, uh, this is something that's going to be total counterintuitive and countercultural, um, or at least counterparent, okay? <laughs> what your parents have said to you, right? Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. You're like, whoa. Did I, just, did I just hear that right? I'm supposed to, during my childhood, during my younger years, let my heart be pleasant and other be, be happy and follow the impulses of my heart and the desires of my eyes? I mean, basically, Solomon is saying, listen, do and see all you can. You're only young once, so go for it. Experience all that life has to offer. Live it up while you have a chance. And again, this is shockingly ironic because young people typically don't like to be told they can't do stuff. So they're like, Are you, really? I can do all this stuff? I thought I wasn't supposed to do this stuff. So God, God says, listen, do whatever will make you happy. That's essentially what he's saying. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Do what will make you happy. You're like, whoa, this sounds like risky advice here, God. What are you doing? Okay, you can't tell a young person that. Well, again, listen, this is not a, an invitation to do anything you want, okay? He does say, do what will make you happy, but that doesn't mean you can do anything you want, right? This isn't a license to sin. God was not advocating hedonism here where personal pleasure uh, is the highest gain or the highest goal, you know, if it feels good, do it. That's not what he's saying here. Unless we turn our liberty into license, Solomon added this at the end of verse 9. Don't miss this now. Yet, know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. You're like, well, I knew it was too good to be true. Just rip the rug out from under me, man. What's up with that? Well, what he's saying is, listen, go for it. Have fun. Enjoy your life. And, and if you see it and you want it and you desire it, and you, then, then just, but just know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Realize that you're going to have to stand before God someday and give an account for everything you've done in your life. And he's going to develop this at the very end, the last two verses of, of the Ecclesiastes. He says this in verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And of course, we're familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, talking about the Bema Seat judgment, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So in short, what Solomon is saying, listen, have fun, but don't sin. Have fun, live a fun-filled life, but don't sin. And so he maintained this, this really critical balance between enjoyment and judgment. And I think all of us need to learn to, to live in the tension between enjoyment and judgment, between pleasure and punishment. I mean, if all we do is focus on enjoying ourselves, then, then judgment threatens us, right? But if all we do is think about being judged someday, then, then our enjoyment suffers, right? You just don't enjoy life. 
And I would, I would just go one step further and, and say that, that our enjoyment in life is enhanced by our responsibility to God, not erased. Okay? Okay, so you're saying, well, man, it seems like my, my enjoyment is erased now that I know I have this responsibility for God. Before God, I'm going to stand before him. So it's kind of, it kind of takes away all the joy. No, I think it enhances the joy. Um, God isn't trying to trick us here, and he's like, hey, go do whatever you want, psych. No, he's trying to protect us. He's not, he's not trying to take away our fun in life. He's trying to give us the most fun possible. And true happiness and satisfaction can only be experienced through freedom under control with boundaries, with limitations. I have a commentary in my, my office uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes, and the title is this, Joy at the End of the Tether. We're going to get there uh, next week about the tether, how these things tether us. They, they kind of keep us on a chain from, from going off, Right? And it's joy at the end of the tether. You're like, oh man, I wish I wasn't chained up. God's kind of got this chain on me. I only can go so far. Well, guess what? Praise God he's put that tether on you. It's his grace. It's his mercy. And there's joy at the end of the tether. In other words, you can go out as far as you can go, right, on that tether, on that leash. But boom, that's where you got to stop. But guess what? There's joy. There's joy in that. That's a brilliant title, isn't it? Joy at the end of the tether. Again, this is not a threat. Hey, now watch out. You know, this, I'm going to threaten you. I'm warning you. You're going to have to stand before it. This is not a threat, but a merciful reminder. It's not intended to take the fun out of life, but to remind us that we're to live for God. We're to live quorum Deo, which R.C. Sproul kind of made that statement, Latin phrase famous, quorum Deo, which means before the face of God, right? That you live in the presence of God. If you understand God's omnipresence and God's omniscience, that everything you say, everything you do, everything you think, even the motives of your heart can be, are wide open for God. You live before the face of God. You, like, it's like you're living in his presence, in, in his throne room, right? Everything you do is like right there in front of him. He sees it all. And so this is important because everything we do in life matters for eternity, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what we do with our relationships, what we decide about our future. And, and this is really helpful when it talks about rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood and follow the impulse of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Why is that so important? Because young people typically don't stop and think about the consequences of their actions, do they? They're just very impulsive. They live in the moment. They live for now. They tend to make decisions based on whatever will provide them immediate short-term pleasure rather than considering the long-term consequences of their actions and decisions. And, and so he's just reminding you, hey, listen, reality check, okay? Reality check. There is a God, and he has clearly told us what is right and wrong, and there will come a day when you have to stand before him and be judged for everything you do or don't do. And we'll all answer to God. All of us will answer to God. And so knowing that, knowing that we're answerable to God someday should motivate us to enjoy our lives within the will of God so that we'll have nothing to fear on the judgment day.
And then notice what he goes on to say. This is interesting. Verse 10. He says, to let your heart be pleasant during the days of young men. In other words, be happy. Happy, 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 right? Uh, You can still be that way when you get old, I guess, too, right? But notice verse 10. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. In other words, this time, you're, you're, you're in the prime of your life. If you're a young person, you are in the prime of your life. And, and, that's, and it's going to go by quickly. And so don't waste the, the prime of your life by, by living sad and gloomy and being angry and bitter and resentful and, and doing things that are harmful to your body. In other words, he's saying maximize your enjoyment now while you can and minimize the sorrow and the trouble and the bitterness. And, and uh, Lee, uh, Riken says it this way, that we should do what we can to remove discouragement from our souls and minimize damage from our bodies. The word that some of your Bibles may have is vexation. Anybody got that in their Bible? Remove vexation. Interesting word there. Uh, it's a word that talks about frustration and anger, um, maybe stress even. Um, If I think of a word that describes a lot of young people today, it would be stressed out, right? Just stressed out. And he's saying, listen, don't, don't, don't live stressed out lives. You got all this stuff going on. And uh, all this, uh, or, or there's this anger, there's this bitterness, which leads to rebellion, right? And next thing you know, you're doing things, you're doing stupid things that, that could harm you, um, like doing drugs, right? Or drinking alcohol or driving fast or, you know, getting involved in illicit sex or, you know, the thing today is cutting yourself, Right? Um, or even some, pe- some young people, right, committing suicide. There's nothing more tragic than when a young person commits suicide. And they miss the whole point of this passage. That, that your heart is supposed to be pleasant. You're, you're supposed to remove these things. And this is a command. This is not like a suggestion. This is a command. Don't walk around all gloomy and depressed and angry and bitter and resentful Right? Because this is, this is the prime of life. This is when you're supposed to be enjoying life more than ever. So don't let frustration steal your joy. Keep you, keep you, having, keep you from having fun in your young years. Another way you could say it is enjoy being a kid. Don't grow up too fast, right? Because you're going to have enough stuff to worry about when you get older. Trust me, Right? Uh, life's easy, relatively speaking, when you're younger. Can I hear an amen from the older folks, right? Life is a whole lot easier when you, I'm like, I think about it sometimes, what in the world, man? I'm, it seems like, why was, uh, why was I so happy and carefree when I was in college? Well, uh, I didn't have any responsibilities, <laughs> just to go to class, right? Parents were paying them my way, right? And um, didn't, didn't necessarily have to work and, and uh, didn't, wasn't married and didn't have a, a responsibility to love and to care for a wife and, and to provide for her and didn't have any children and didn't have a dog and, you know, all the other things, a mortgage, right? Uh, all the things that, that come with life, right? So 
The point is, you're going to have all that stuff, so right now, life is something to enjoy, but the day is going to come when life will become something more to endure, unfortunately. And so, live a fun-filled life. Live a fun-filled life. Live an action-packed life. Live a fun-filled life. And then lastly, this is the most important one here, is live a God-centered life. Live a God-centered life. And here we finally get to the whole point, right, of the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. So, this is a critical statement, and, and if you don't have an underline in your Bible, you should. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. What does it mean to remember your Creator? Does it mean, oh yeah, I remember there's a God? Well, it's a lot more than just thinking about Him. It's revering Him. It's respecting Him. It's honoring Him. It's loving Him. It's obeying Him. It's serving Him. It's glorifying Him with your life. That's all included in what it means to remember your Creator. What's the opposite of remembering your Creator? What's the opposite of remember? Forget, right? Forgetting your Creator. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. Romans 1.20, it says, although they knew God, they did not acknowledge Him as God or give Him thanks, right? But in their foolish hearts, they were darkened, and they exchanged the glory of God for created things. So... We all need to realize that that there is a God who created us. He's the one who sustains us. He will one day judge us, and therefore he owns us, and we owe him our lives, and we we wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. Remember your creator. And again, remembering denotes decisive action on our part. It's not just a mental thing, okay? But But based on who he is and what he's done for us, we need to submit our lives to him as our maker, as our sustainer, and as our judge. He needs to be the highest priority in our lives. We need to realize every day is a gift from him and live every day for his glory. Again, Riken says it this, he says it this way, to remember God is to live our whole lives for him. And when you, when you read that, you hear that, to remember God is to live our whole lives for him. You're like, yeah, I gotta live my, my, my whole life, like everything that I am right now. Well, there's also the implication is the best time to commit your life to God, right? If you want to live your whole life for him is when should you commit your life to God? When you're young, right? So you can literally live your whole life, not just a few years of your life or a portion of your life, a half of your life, but your whole life for him. Don't, don't wait, in other words, don't, don't wait until you get old to give God your life, right? How many times... Right, It says here, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Do it now, young person. Don't wait until you get older because the older you get, the harder you become towards the Lord and the more set in your ways you become. The longer a person waits to come to the Lord, the harder it will be for him to come to them. I mean, few, few people come to the Lord later in life. On rare occasions, God will demonstrate his grace and save an elderly, elderly person, just to show off his grace, right? And, and God saves that person 
right, who in the very, in the, in the very um, you know, last hour of the day, right, the work day, right, you got those guys that went out into the field and were working from 9 o'clock, right, well, God saved some people at 4 o'clock, and he does it just to magnify his grace, but that's a rare thing, it's a rare thing. God's normal pattern is for people to come to him when they're young. And I think too often, this, I mean, this is such a great exhortation here because too often when people are young and they have their whole life in front of them, right, it causes them to forget about God or at least put him on the back burner, put him off until sometime later in life. Well, I'll get serious with God when I get older, when I get married, when I have kids, right? You have all these excuses. What, when? Well, guess what? If you don't do it now, you probably never will. And I think it's presumptuous to think that you have plenty of time to, to kind of sow your wild oats and then pray for crop failure. God wants the best years of your life. Ladies, how would you feel if, you know, that guy in your life bought you some flowers and uh, he, he came home from the florist or the store and he put them in his own room or his own house. Maybe if you're not living together, you're not you know, dating or whatever, you're dating. And uh, he enjoyed those flowers for a week and a half or so. And they were beautiful. They smelled awesome. They were beautiful to look at. And just when the petals started to fall off and the scent was going away and they were beginning to droop and uh, they were starting to get brown, they took those flowers and then they gave them to you. Say, here, I got you some flowers. How would that make you feel, ladies? Basically, you're, you're getting the leftovers, right? Um, well, guess what? I think a lot of young people today are doing the same thing with their lives. That they selfishly enjoy their life, right, while they're young, and then they give it to God later on after the beauty and vitality has been spent and you're old and wrinkled and you give your life to God, right? God wants to use you now, young person, to honor him and to glorify him your entire life. Don't just give him the last few years of life. Give him the best years of your life. And by the way, it's going to save you a whole lot of heartache if you give your life to the Lord now. Yeah, the, those that came to, to Christ later in life say amen. Yeah, there's a lot of pain and heartache, right? A lot of bad decisions that you'll regret later, so live for him now while you still have your whole life ahead of you. And then notice how he, he says here, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. Solomon goes on here to paint a vivid picture of the aging process that ultimately climaxes in death. And this is, uh, commentators say, m- multiple commentators make this comment that, that this is the most beautiful picture ever penned of what it looks like to grow old and die. Verse 2, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are dark and the clouds return after the rain. Solomon compares the troubles of old age to a gathering storm. And those of us that are older and uh, old age... Um, comes when uh, you know, days are dreary, right, and nights are long and gloom and depression often settle in. You go from enjoying life to enduring life and, 
and, and older people tend to suffer one trouble after another and they really have little time to recover and so they, 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 their physical powers and their mental capacities begin to fade and fail. They think less clearly and, and, and they remember less accurately. They, you know, we've all had the senior moments, right? That's what he's talking about here. Um, the, the moon and the stars are dark and the clouds return after the rain. And then notice verses 3 through 6. He, he likens an aging person to a house that's falling apart. Some of you, get, can, can I hear an amen, right? Your, your house is falling apart, right? Um, notice he says, verse 3, In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble. Again, the watchmen are the arms and the hands that were once strong and active and would be the, the, the ones who would protect, right, the house. They're now weak and they're, they're wrinkled. He says, And the mighty men stoop. I think that's a reference to the legs that are no longer strong and straight, but they begin to be bowed as if they're kind of uh, buckling under the weight of the body. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. I think that's a reference to teeth, right? You're grinding your teeth. You're no longer able to chew food because you don't have enough teeth to do it, right? Um, It says, and those who look through windows grow dim. Uh, I think, again, that's a, probably a reference to your eyes, right? That you, your eyes begin to fail. You, you need glasses at first and then bifocals and then trifocals and then surgery for cataracts. And then next thing you know, you're using a magnifying glass walking around the house, right? Um, this is the idea of the, of the windows growing dim. Verse 4, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. I think a reference here to your ears, right? You begin to lose your hearing. Everything needs to be repeated. Loud noises like that of a grinding mill um, are low and indistinct. You can't make out those things as often. Uh, Notice it says, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, right? Older people sometimes have a hard time sleeping and and they seem to wake up a lot earlier than they ever did, right? And the the slightest noise uh, wakes them up. They, They wake up to the dawn, They don't need an alarm clock to wake them up. Notice it says, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. This could be, again, a reference to the hearing. Um, Some commentators say this is a a reference to the vocal cords that that you can't speak and sing as loudly as you're used to because your voice begins to crack, your voice becomes unsteady. Verse 5, furthermore, men are afraid of high, of high place and of terrors on the road. Again, older people tend to be afraid of heights, right? It's not fun for an older person to get on a ladder or to climb up some tall building or look out at the Grand Canyon and look over the cliff, all right? That's, there's a lot of fears. Or going out by themselves alone or going out at night. They lack the confidence that they once had. It says, the almond tree blossoms. This is a reference to the graying or the whitening of the hair. And then there's a, a reference here to the grasshopper drags himself along. What a, what a vivid picture. A, a grasshopper used to like spring everywhere they went, popping all over the place, right? You used to have a spring in your step, but now you're just kind of dragging yourself along, just slowly getting where you got to go. Um, it just kind of, that's the picture of, of aging here. And then it makes a reference here to the caper berry is ineffective, a reference here probably to natural appetites that begin to diminish. You, you just, you know, as you get older, sometimes you, you lose your appetite. You have to force yourself to eat. Um, the caper berry, some say, was some kind of um, sexual stimulant. So your sexual desire wanes and you become impotent over time as you age. 
And then eventually you die, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. So he basically describes a funeral in progress. You've died, you're buried, and and the mourners are there attending your funeral procession as it goes down the street. Verse 6, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Again, these are just all images of death. It's kind of difficult to assign precise meaning to all these figures. Some say the silver cord could refer to the spinal cord. Um, the golden bowl could talk about your cranial cavity. The broken pitcher could be your heart. The wheel is a circulatory system with veins and arteries. In other words, your heart stops pumping and your blood stops flowing. It's just a picture of death here. And then verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Just expressing the biblical concept here of of eternality, right? That when you die, uh, your body goes into the ground where it deteriorates and turns into dust. From from dust you came, from dust you'll go, right? Genesis 3.19. But when your body, right, before your body goes into the ground, your spirit leaves it. The moment you die, your spirit or your soul leaves your body. And if you're a believer, your spirit goes to heaven, and is ultimately united again with the body at the rapture, right? When the Lord returns. If you're an unbeliever and you die, your spirit goes to hell. And you're united with your body eventually at the great white throne judgment, and then your entire person is cast into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20. So as he's just talking about your, your spirit, your soul, leaving your body and returning to the one who gave it. So his point is just, hey, listen, remember your creator before all these things happen to you. Before, you're, before you get old and die, right? Develop a relationship with the one who created you and, and live for him on a daily basis. And so it's inevitable that we're going to die. This is going to happen to us. We're all going to be able to have a little picture someday, right? The before and after, right? Like the burns here. And, and the, 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 I mean, this is a reality check, okay? This is going to be Ken and Kelly someday. Lord willing, if the Lord tarries, we don't die, right, before then. Uh, this is going to be us. And, and so when, when you think about that, right, it, it just reminds you that we're going to die someday. We're not getting any younger, right? We're going to face our creator and our judge, and we're going to have to give an account of our lives, and that should influence and impact how we live our lives every day. And every morning we should wake up and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it, right? We should thank him for life and breath and ask him to help us use that day, right, wisely for his glory and to enjoy that day as a gift, our lives as a gift uh, from him. In closing, Chuck Swindoll said it this way really well. He said, the all-inclusive essential ingredient for happiness is a vital relationship with God. Finally, after chapters filled with dissatisfaction and despair, Solomon tells us the necessary ingredient for experiencing joy in our lives. Our happiness is directly linked to our obedience to God. 
When we submit to his word through faith in Jesus Christ, we will begin experiencing the Lord's abundant blessings. If we have accepted Jesus as our Savior before we die, then our life beyond death will be more exhilarating than we could ever imagine. However, if we die before placing our faith in the Messiah, then our earthly life will have been lived in vain and our life beyond will be one of torment in hell. It's not pleasant to talk about hell or to think about hell, but it's true. And so I hope this passage will encourage you and stimulate you to live every day, right, for eternity. And we talk about how important it is to prepare for retirement, right? We've got to prepare for retirement because we're all getting old. Prepare for retirement. How about preparing for eternity? That's more important than preparing for retirement. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how vivid it is and how brilliant it is and just showing us our lives. It's like we just watched the, the, uh, our lives play out before us in just the last 30, 40 minutes. We, we just watched our lives um, just go by. And I pray that this, this, this picture, this image that Solomon paints for us here would just grip us and uh, compel us to want to live every day for your glory, and that our, truly our entire lives, our whole lives, would be devoted to, to honoring you and obeying you, and that, Lord, we would not fear uh, standing before you someday, but that would be a joy that we anticipate because we've, we've, we've strived to live our lives in a manner that's pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.